Hey everybody, good morning. Uh, so glad you're here. Thanks for coming uh, wherever you're worshiping. If you're worshiping in Aurora at the Aurora campus or over in East Hall or at the block or here in the sanctuary or uh, if you're tuning in online, welcome. Welcome to Easter here at Christ Community Chapel. Listen, if, if you're visiting with us, we are thrilled that you're here. But let me uh, be honest, we would rather not be a one and done with you. We would love for you to come back uh, next week, which is one of the reasons uh, we are having a special speaker, Sam Alberry. Uh, he is a wonderful speaker, and it will be intriguing, I promise. And then after that, we start a series called Freedom to Change. Freedom to Change. And that kind of fits into our theme for the year. Every year here at CCC, we have a theme, and our theme this year is Transformed in 2018. And the idea is that we want to be different in a good way in December than we are right now. So every one of our series has to do with either change or being transformed. And this week, we finish a five-week series that we've been calling The Cross Changes Everything. The Cross Changes Everything. And today, the title of this message is, If It's True. The cross changes everything if it's true. If it's not true, then uh, we all got dressed up for nothing, right? That's kind of a quote from Braveheart in a little way. All right. But if it is true, if it's true that Jesus really is the Son of God, if it's true that Jesus really did die on a cross for your sins, if it's true that Jesus really did rise from the dead three days later, then that has the power to change everything about you, your life and your future, if it's true. Now, I was thinking, if what we celebrate today is true, do you have any idea all that that means? I just started going through some of it in my head. It means that, for first of all, it means that there is a God and He cares, which is huge because Every one of us have come to times in our lives where we feel like God doesn't care about the world in general or about what's going on in our lives in particular. But if Jesus went to the cross for you, then it means that God cares for you a lot. If it's true, what we celebrate today, it means that God knows you. Not the dressed-up Easter church-going you, but the real you. And instead of turning His back, and walking away and giving up, He has come for you. It means that you can be forgiven of anything and everything. There is not a single thing you can do that you cannot be forgiven for. And this is why. If the punishment fits the crime, then there is nothing you have ever done or could ever do that would deserve more punishment than the crucifixion. It means there is hope if it's true what we celebrate today, it means that there's hope no matter how painful your life is right now because if Jesus resurrected from the dead, it means that this life isn't all there is. It means that your life could actually be like a fairy tale where you will live happily ever after. It means that one day all your sadness can be swallowed up with joy, all your darkness swallowed up by light, and all your death swallowed up by life, if it's true. If it's true, that means that God really knows 
you, everything about you. And that same God loves you absolutely, fully, utterly, if it's true. If it's true. Uh, we baptized uh, a young woman a couple of weeks ago, and she wrote out why she wanted to be baptized. And this is what she said. I'm going to put her picture up on the screen. She said, all my life I've been looking for love to fill this empty hole in my heart. I would fill it with men, drugs, and hateful, evil things. I've never felt full or loved. Pain filled my life and sorrow was my only emotion. I've had a very depressing life filled with abuse, pain, and me begging for someone just to love me. I ran from my family and my emotions. I was homeless. I was dirty. I was broken. I gave everything up for an evil that caused me nothing but pain. I was lost, crying, begging for mercy. I found that mercy in Christ. I found that love I've always wanted and craved. The contentment in my soul and heart. Days aren't so dark. Life isn't so scary. I found everything I ever wanted and needed. I have a new outlook on life and the things I need to do. Jesus died for me. He loves me even when I couldn't love myself. I'm not broken to him. I've never been more happy to finally be filled with the love of Christ. He is my Savior. If it's true. Of course, the million-dollar question is, how do you know it's true? How do you know it's true? I have three points. I always have three points, right? And my three points in answer to the question, is it true, is I think God gives us three things. He gives something for your heart, something for your head, and something to change your life. He gives something for your heart, something for your head, something to change your life. First, something for your heart. The thing that God gave for your heart is the cross, is the cross. And this is what I mean. There's a verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's very simple. God shows his love toward us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a question. If you tell somebody that you love them and they say, show me, what are you going to do? It sounds easier than it is. I mean, if you're sitting next to somebody who you love, and they say, they look over at you and they say, right, <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to wink at them? Right? Give them a thumbs up? Squeeze their hand? I mean, it, it's not all that convincing. What you need is a situation. You need some occasion that you can you know, that you can rise to that occasion. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you something that you can say to somebody that you love, and this is pure gold. Right, I'm going to give you relational gold. If you will say this to somebody that you love and mean it and actually do it, then you will melt them. All right, ready? Gold. This is it. Look at them and you say to them, I want you to know when you are at the next time you're at your very worst, I will love you the very most. The next time you're at your very worst, I will love you the very most. Listen, anybody can be loved on the first date or on your wedding day. It's a different deal at the height of flu season, right? <laughs> when you have done something that is so self-centered and so selfish, it surprises even you, then it's different to be loved at that moment. 
Whenever I do officiate a wedding, I always remind the couple that I go, you know, I go through these three famous couplets. You know, you always do this at a wedding. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And what I tell the couple is, listen, the promise you make today isn't for the first part of those couplets. It's not that hard to love somebody for, for better, for richer, for healthier. That's not what the promise is for. The promise is because it's hard to love somebody for worse, for poorer, for sicker. That's what the cross is about. That's what Jesus does on the cross. Right? Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus goes to the cross and he looks at you and he says, when you are at your very worst, I am loving you the very most. Right? You know, I always tell a couple too, when I, uh, when I do the wedding, I'll tell the, the bride because I pick on the bride. And I'll say, you know what this means in real life? And I, I say, when he, and I point to the man that is just within minutes of becoming her husband. And I said, when he does something that is so epically stupid that no one would love him, not even his own mom, <laughs> you're going to take his face in your hands, you're going to look him in the eyes, and you're going to say, I love you still because I promised that when you were at your very worst, I would love you the very most. That's what Jesus does when he goes to the cross. And if what we celebrate today is true, then no one has ever loved you quite like that, and no one ever will. That's why Paul writes something like this in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a question. Why do people get divorced? People get divorced because it's so hard for human beings. It's almost impossible for us to reach to the bottom when somebody's at the very worst with our love. But Jesus does, and Jesus did. And that's the cross. So if today is true, God gives you something for your heart. But he also gives you something for your head. And that's the resurrection. Why did Jesus resurrect? Right? Why do we teach that? I mean, if everything happened on the cross, if that's where God demonstrates his love, if that's where we get forgiveness of sins, if that's where all that happens, then why do you have to resurrect? Because resurrection is a problem. It's a problem for us who are Christians. It's a problem for people who are non-Christians. It's just a problem. No other religion has created a problem for itself like we did with the resurrection. Every other religion is based on teaching. That's the foundation. Right? You go to Islam based on the Koran, Buddhism based on the sutras, Hinduism based on the Bhagavad Gita. But Christianity, our foundation, our cornerstone, is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We say Jesus rose from the dead, and that makes all the difference. In fact, Paul says this, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and, your and so is your faith. <laughs> That's harsh, right? 
If Christ is not raised, if the resurrection didn't happen, then preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So why did, why did God give us the resurrection? He gave us the resurrection for evidence, evidence for our head, that Jesus didn't just die because he was a religious rebel. He didn't die because he was an unpopular teacher. He didn't die because he was a social revolutionary. He wasn't assassinated like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or Malcolm X. And the proof of that is the resurrection. Now, the biggest argument and the most powerful argument against the resurrection is that it never happens. That it breaks, the resurrection breaks one of the biggest rules. And the, the biggest rules is when people die, they stay dead 100% of the time. And we say as Christians, we agree with that rule except for Jesus. Jesus didn't stay dead. And the, re, and the, the people who say that the resurrection didn't happen, if you're a skeptic, really your argument is this. It never happens. And here's the thing I want to tell you. The things that never happen, never happen until they do. Things that never happen, never happen until they do. And so the question is, if the resurrection did happen, what evidence would there need to be to be convincing? And I'm going to give you kind of four pieces of evidence. They kind of cascade into each other because that's the way forensic evidence works, that it's all connected. So let me start with this. The first thing that you'd have to have for the resurrection to be true, a piece of evidence, would be an empty tomb. Because once you have a, <laughs> once you have a body, kind of the, the argument's over. Right? So the, the tomb, which seems like it should be easy, but it's not that easy. When you have a bunch of hostile skeptics with unlimited resources who begin to look for that body day one, which is the, the Roman government and the Jewish ruling council. And they search everywhere. And a dead body shouldn't be that hard to find because a dead body pretty much stays where you put it. Right? Unless somebody moves it. Unless it has help. Which brings me to the second piece of evidence, which are the usual suspects. Right? The usual suspects would be the disciples. The disciples had the only reason to move. They were the only people that had any reason to move Jesus' body. But the disciples didn't act like people who had robbed a grave. If you're a grave robber, you usually stay kind of in hiding. You don't come out in public and preach to huge crowds. But that's what the disciples did. And then they were arrested, and then they were tortured. Every single one of them, over the, the course of the next four decades, every single one of them continued to preach and say that Jesus was resurrected, and, were, and they were tortured for it, and not a single one of them ever recanted and said it didn't happen. So the usual suspects acted a, an abnormal way if the resurrection was not true. But then you have the, the unusual suspects, well, I'll call them, the, the witnesses that didn't have a dog in the fight. Like there, there are a bunch of, there's a big crowd of people that were not followers of Jesus before the resurrection, but then said after the resurrection, we saw him. There are four shocking verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is what Paul says, For I declared to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, okay, that's the disciples, and then he says this, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You hear what he says? He says, Jesus appeared to 500 people, and they're still alive, so you can go ask them. That is wild. Yeah, that is a, a piece of evidence you have to deal with if you're going to just say, oh, the resurrection didn't happen because it never happened. It never happens. And then you have the women who were witnesses, which is very, very strange. And I'll tell you why. There are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels say the same thing, that a group of women were the first witnesses at the tomb to see Jesus resurrected. And the reason that's so strange and unusual is that in the first century, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. Very sexist cultures. All, all three, the Jewish culture, the Roman culture, the Greek culture, all of them believed the same thing, that women did not make reliable witnesses. So the, the question, of course, is if you were going to try to create a story about something that had never, ever happened before, namely a resurrection, where somebody actually came back from the dead, why would you have women be your primary witnesses to that. And then finally, there were several people who were sworn enemies of Jesus all the way up past the crucifixion, but then became his ardent followers, and they pointed to the resurrection as the reason. Namely, James, his half-brother, and Paul the apostle. So what happened? And then the last thing is what I call the inexplicable impact. Every historian agrees that something happened in the first century that had so much power that it swept across the Roman Empire like a tsunami, and it impacted rich and poor, educated and uneducated, religious and irreligious, Jews and Gentiles. There wasn't a single strata of society that was not impacted by whatever happened in the first century. And to the person, every single person looked back and said, the thing that started this tsunami was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if that wasn't what started the tsunami, then the question is, what did? What happened in the first century that had such power that it changed the very fabric of the world. So this is what I want to say. If you're, if you're here and you're a skeptic, I am, I'm really glad you're here. But if your argument against the resurrection is just that resurrections never happen, I'm not sure if that's a fail-safe argument. I think you might want to look at the evidence, and then you have to deal with all the different pieces of evidence to figure out whether that means that what never happens actually happened in this case of Jesus. So God gives something for your heart, which is the cross, which is when you're at your very worst, God loves you the very most. Something for your head, evidence for the resurrection, which is just about every kind of evidence that we could have if it really happened. But then the question is, what difference does it make? How does it actually change your life? 37 years ago, my life was changed. Um, I fell in love uh, with a young woman named Karen Heasley. And so I, uh, I told her one day, I said, I love you. Right? That was for her heart. And then literally, I took all the money that I had, and I went and bought a ring, and I uh, presented it to her, and I gave her the ring for her head and for her father's head. <laughs> because... I wanted to tell her that it's not just words. There's some, there's some substance. There's something tangible. I will give everything I have for you, right? 
And then I still needed her to make a decision. I needed her to say yes. I needed her to say, yes, I believe that you love me. Yes, I am yours. Because until she said yes, nothing would change. Her yes to me would activate all the power and energy of my love for her. That's where some of you are right now. Some of you have uh, come this weekend and you'll say, you know what, I believe what we celebrate this weekend really happened. That's why I'm here. I believe that Jesus really does love me. I believe that Jesus really did die for me. I believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead for me. But nothing's really changed in your life, and that's because whether you realize it or not, you've never said yes. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? It means you say to Jesus, yes, I believe that you love me. Yes, I believe Jesus, that you went to the cross and died for me when I was at my very worst. You loved me the very most. I believe that. And I believe that you rose on the third day to prove there is power in the cross to seek and to save even me. Years ago, when I was riding, driving in a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle, I'm away from Tampa, Florida to Orlando. I said yes to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. If what we celebrate today is true, it's the best news the world has ever heard. It's the best news that you could ever hear. And the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again has the power to change everything about you. All you have to do is say yes. Transformed. 2018. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you on this day of all days, the day that we celebrate that you are alive. And what we celebrate today has the power to change everything about us and everything about our lives. I pray for those of us who have already said yes to you. I pray that this day will drive your love deeper inside of us and give us more faith and more power to actually change the people you want us to be. I pray for those who have never said yes. I pray that this could be the day that they believe you love them, that you died for them, and that you rose again to prove it. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your power. Thanks for your love. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.